Well, good morning. Um, it's exciting to be together to worship. As uh, Ryan said, this is, uh, this is the season of Advent. Uh, it's the season when we as the church uh, are kind of doing two things at once. Uh, on one hand, we're, we're celebrating Christmas. We're remembering and celebrating what God has done for us in Jesus in his first Advent. And then we're also um, looking forward to and longing for the Jesus who will return. And so we continue that this morning with lessons and carols. It's one of my favorite services that we do all year. I've come to love it because it really does tell the story of Scripture. The readings uh, that we uh, have this morning, the songs that we're singing, um, really helps us understand the great story of Scripture. And the fact that that whole story, uh, even though it's many authors and many books and written over many thousands of years, really is one story that all points to the person of Jesus. And so it helps us in the season of Advent to understand why Jesus came, and it helps us to understand why Jesus will return. And so this morning, we're going to look um, together at God's Word in uh, Luke chapter 3. If you want to open up your Bible uh, there, if you're joining us via live feed, if you want to grab a Bible wherever you are, and invite you to join us as we look at Luke chapter 3, the reading I just shared, beginning in verse 7. And what I want to do this morning is just take a few minutes and reflect together um, on, uh, on really where this story that we're telling this morning, where it ultimately leads. Uh, to put it this way, where does the story of the Bible tell us uh, humanity is headed? What is the story of the Bible's uh, explanation of our human destiny, in other words? And so with, with the story of the Bible behind us, I want us to talk about that this morning. Now, um, uh, President Obama was fond of quoting Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, when he would say, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Have you all heard that before? Uh, he he kind of made that very popular, brought it, brought it back. I, I'm curious how many of us have heard that quote within the context of what Dr. King actually said. So I want to read that to you. This is, what, this is what Dr. King said. He said, Evil may so shape events that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a cross. But that same Christ will rise up and split history into A.D. and B.C. so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by the name of Jesus. Yes, the arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice. I think that helps put that quote in some context. It's not a political statement. It's a spiritual statement. It's a statement about great truth, capital T truth in the world. And the Apostle Paul, he said something similar. Uh, he says something similar in 2 Corinthians. This is how he said it when he talked about the arc of human history towards justice. He said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. See, the arc of the universe, according to Scripture, does bend towards justice. There is a moment, in other words, at the end of all time, when all will be judged justly. The Apostle John describes that moment in Revelation 20, the very end of our scriptures, the end of the Bible, this is what it says. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And I saw the dead, 
great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. In other words, Dr. King was right. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. In fact, justice is guaranteed by the word of God. But the question then becomes, what is justice? What exactly is justice? Um, What a relevant question for the world that we are living in, for the culture in which we are living in, this cultural moment. What exactly is justice? And so what we find in Luke chapter 3 this morning is that John the Baptist offers us some answers to that question of what is justice. He actually gives us two pictures of justice, and I want to look at each one of those and then talk about what that means for us. So in verse 17, if you want to look there, in verse 17, he says of Jesus, he says, Jesus, uh, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. All right, so what is, what is John talking about? Uh, so a winnowing fork, uh, I had to look this up. I didn't know what a winnowing fork, it's basically a pitchfork. A pitchfork, uh, and you take the pitchfork, and you kind of dig into the wheat, and you throw it in the air. And what happens is the kernels of wheat, the good grain falls to the ground, and the chaff, the husk of the wheat, kind of flies off in the breeze. And so you're kind of separating, as John describes here, the wheat from the chaff. And so this is a picture, right, that John is giving us of justice, And so this is how it helps us understand justice. Basically what John is saying is justice is God setting all things right, sorting out all the things uh, at the end of time to make sure that everything is as it should be. He's separating out the good from the evil, and the evil will be cast off and destroyed forever, and the good will be preserved and rewarded. That's, the, that's kind of this picture that we get. So justice is God setting all things right in the world at the end of time. It's part of what John is getting at. He'll affirm and reward what is good. He will cast aside and destroy what is evil. That's justice. That's justice. Now, my bet is when you hear things like he'll gather wheat into his barn and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire, there's a part of you that gets uncomfortable, Uncomfortable with passages like this in the Bible. Uncomfortable with language of judgment. Strong language, isn't it? And it elicits strong emotions from us. I think, honestly, many of us would prefer just not to read about the judgment of God. Uh, We'd prefer not to talk about the judgment of God. The idea of judgment, I think, is is seen by many followers of Jesus almost as a source of shame in our culture. We kind of like, can we just kind of keep that back here? not talk about the judgment of God. We bend over backwards sometimes, I think, to avoid talking about the judgment of God in our culture. Now, to be clear, John is encouraging us um, to think about the judgment of God. He's not calling us to be judgmental people. It's very different. Nor is he saying this to condemn people. He is communicating with deadly seriousness that ultimately God will bring justice And as disturbing as it may feel, in the end, it is what we want. It's what we want. We want justice. We want God's judgment. We want a Jesus who is going to come back and who will judge the world. 
We want that. Now, you may say, why, why do I want that? Tell me why, because I don't know why. Why do you want that? I, here's what J.I. Packer said, and I love how he said it. He said, to not judge the world would be for God to show moral indifference to evil. To not judge the world would be for God to show moral indifference to evil. The final proof that God is a perfect moral being is that he is not indifferent to questions of right and wrong. He has, in fact, committed himself to judge the world. The truth is we desperately need judgment. We want a God who judges, and only God can judge The truth is we desperately need to recover an understanding, I think, of God's judgment in the church. Fleming Rutledge said this. She said, without judgment, we cultivate a culture of impunity. We see it from presidents to pastors, from Ivy League educated professionals to common criminals, from the wealthy to the poor. We are teaching people in our day to live without fear of any ultimate consequences. And so as we do, we become almost like beasts. That's what she says. Without judgment, we become almost like beasts. There's no consequences, no eternal significance. None of it matters, right? We need God's justice. We need God's justice. We need a God committed to setting things right. We need a God of justice because we need to know that God's not content to leave us in a world that is marred by evil, that he is not content to leave us in a place where evil has the last word in our lives. We need that kind of God. So praise God. Can we say that? Praise God that he is a God who will judge. Praise God that he is the one that loves us that much. We need to recover this idea that God will judge and he is right to do so. And so that brings us back actually to Luke chapter 3. Because John gives us a second picture of justice. He warns people that Jesus will bring this kind of judgment. He holds up that picture, the winnowing fork and the harvest. He holds that up. But then he holds up another picture. And when he holds that up, people say, well, what should we do in response to that picture of God as the just judge? How do we respond, John the Baptist? And this is what he does. After he calls into repentance and belief in Jesus, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. John the Baptist says, produce fruit fruit in keeping with repentance. What does that mean? Well, if repentance is a change of heart, we talked about that last week, it's a turning to God, trusting and believing in Jesus, it means let your actions then flow out of a heart changed by God. Let it show forth fruit in your life. Now, what is that fruit? This is where he goes on to explain. Look what he says in, uh, in chapter three. He says, anyone who has two tunics, two shirts, right? Uh, he should share one of those with the person who has none. That's his response to the question, what do we do, John? He says, if you have two shirts, share one. He says, if you have food and someone next to, them has, next to you has no food, share your food. He goes on to tax collectors. He said, don't be greedy. He says to soldiers, don't abuse your power. In other words, if you had to sum up what John's describing here, what does it sound like he's saying? The fruit of repentance is love your neighbor. Jesus said, sum up the law in two commands. Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. Justice looks like loving your neighbor. It's the just judgment of God held up next to love your neighbor. The love of God manifests in our lives. And so that may sound strange. I mean, think about the two pictures that John the Baptist has given us of justice. The just judgment of God at the final judgment, at the final throne. And love people. How do those two things 
go together. It sounds strange, but I think it only sounds strange if we tend to think of judgment and love as incompatible things. And we tend to do that. But for God, for God, love and judgment are like two sides of the same coin. Love and judgment go together. The truth is we've all lived unjustly. Right? This, is, this is what we have to get our heads around. We've all lived unjustly. We're not in right relationship with God and with one another and creation. We have all lived unjust lives. We've all rejected God and his ways. We have all sinned. That's what the Bible teaches us. And the good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to satisfy the justice of God. Jesus took on himself what we justly deserved, and so by grace through faith in Jesus, we can live rightly with God and with one another and with creation. This is the good news of the gospel, that we who deserved judgment have received grace. That's the gospel. And that's where justice, for us as followers of Jesus in particular, but that's where justice begins. The source of justice in the world is in the person of Jesus. God's justice has already been achieved through Jesus on the cross. Through Christ, we are all made right with God. That's where justice happens. That's where justice begins, with Jesus. That's because it's at the very heart of God. Justice is at the very heart of God. When our relationship, in other words, with God is right through Jesus, then our lives become marked by justice. It becomes the fruit of that change of heart in our lives. So, just kind of with that in mind, let's think about the world that we're living in right now. There are a lot of calls for justice in the world right now. And I would say, first and foremost, we in the church ought to be among the loudest voices for justice in the world. We ought to be out in front when it comes to justice, but for God's justice, not the world's justice. For God's justice, not the world's justice. Now, what's the difference? The world's justice seeks justice apart from God. It seeks justice apart from God. It seeks to set things right in our relationships and in the world without being in right relationship with God. That's the world's justice. And what I would say is while that kind of justice can accomplish some good, it won't lead to true justice because justice without God is ultimately not about love. It's ultimately about power, right? It's about who has it and who's trying to get it. That's worldly justice. Justice then about power is counterfeit justice next to God's true justice. It's justice that sees human beings primarily as oppressors and oppressed, as victims and privileged, as haves and have not, rather than seeing all people as created in the image of God and all people, all people as sinners saved by grace, by the grace of God. That's how the gospel sees humanity. That's how we are called to see the world and the people in it, including ourselves. And what that means is feelings of guilt <clears throat> might temporarily motivate or modify behavior, but it is the Holy Spirit of God that gives us God's heart for the world. A heart that longs to see God's justice, longs to see people restored to him and to one another. That's God's justice. 
And we need a vision of justice rooted in that, in God's heart, his character, his grace. The truth is, it's easy to tweet about justice, okay? The thing that's hard is to live justly, to live justice. And it's hard, and we can't do it without God's grace. We cannot do it without God's grace. And so here at Apostles, that's our heart. We want to be after God's heart. We long to see God's justice, to see those in our lives who come to know him and to live in right relationship with him so that through that relationship, it will transform our relationships with one another. It will transform the world. It will bring justice in the world. It's Micah 6.8. We want to be Micah 6.8 people, people who act justly, who love mercy and walk in humility because we know who we are and we know how to live. We can be just people because we know and have within us the heart of the God of justice. Now, with that knowledge, understanding that that is the arc of history, understanding that that is what justice is, it is the final and good judgment of God, it is also God's justice manifests in our loving of neighbor. With all that in mind, with all that knowledge comes great responsibility for the church We know and worship the God of justice. And so we should ask the question, just like the crowds ask of John the Baptist, what should, what, what the, let me try that again. What should we then do, right? What should we do? How do we live justly until Jesus returns, in other words? We love God and love neighbor. It's, it's kind of that simple. Not easy to do. <laughs> Only by God's grace, but it's that simple. That's what Jesus said. Love God, love your neighbor. And the best place to start doing that is right where you are. The best place to start doing that is right where you are, to start doing justice. I would say right in the midst of your life where God has placed you. Ask God to help you see and respond with his heart to the needs around you. And whatever God moves in your heart, some of y'all have shared your heart with me. God is moving in your heart to respond to the needs of the world around you, to respond to the community around you. Does you see injustice? And God is moving you to respond. So maybe it's in the area of education. Maybe it's in the area of walking with those who struggle with addiction. Maybe it's helping people get job training. Right? Maybe it's advocating for the unborn. Maybe it's participating in the healing and reconciliation work from the catastrophic, devastating results of racial discrimination in our country. Maybe it's one of those things, or maybe it's something else. But whatever it is, what's on your heart, what do you see? What can you do? God is calling us to love our neighbor, all of us, to do justice. One of our community's heart cries is for foster children. It's a place where we as a community look out on the world and we say, God, how are you calling us to join in what you're doing um, to bring your peace, your wholeness, your healing, your shalom, to bring justice. And so we, uh, we got to hear last week from Wendy from Have Haven. Less than 10 minutes from here, 10 minutes that direction, just north, there is a home with about 20 boys who have no family. Boys who, as Wendy shared last week, are in desperate need. Boys who think they've been forgotten, they've been abused by the world, they've been written off by everyone, this is the last hope for them, is have haven. They have no family. You think about that at Christmas. They have no family on their own in the world at 15, 16, 17. 
And so there's a need for justice there. There's a need for justice. And so what I would say is if you don't know anywhere else to start, you can start there. Be a part of what God's doing as he's building this partnership with Have Haven. And so, again, if, you, if there's not something on your heart that God's leading you to, and you're just like, God, what do you want, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to, to, to take this up? Here's, I want to give you two simple ways, real practical, two things you can do right now. One is you can, on the way out, grab one of those tags off of that tree. I know it sounds like a, a little thing, but if you're a child who has no family and feels like no one cares whether you live or die this Christmas, just to have a little note and a gift from someone that says, by name, someone cares about you. It's huge, huge thing. So take that tag, and I would say, you know, the, the, the tags are written. So there's two tags. There's a name on one that says, like, the, the kid's age and what the gift is, and there's a separate tag that's blank. You're supposed to write their name on it and a little note from you and put it on the gift when you bring it back. Keep that first tag around. Pray for that child by name. Put it on your fridge. Put it in your car dashboard. But pray for these boys. So that's the first thing. Get one of those cards, uh, gift, gift tags. And then the second thing is this. I would say uh, you can come to a Christmas lunch that we're going to host at Have Haven. It's going to be outdoors. It's going to be on Monday, December 21st. Uh, it's going to be uh, you know, mask optional, social distance. We're going to provide a spaghetti dinner for these kids. And if you want to come, email info at apostleshouston.org and you can come. And we're going to sing some Christmas songs. Uh, we're going to share a little bit of the gospel with these kids. What a privilege. We're being invited in to share the good news of Jesus with these kids. And that's what justice looks like. It means loving these kids right where they are. And so I want to invite you. You can, you can join us for that. But it's this simple. Show up, give some time, and see what God does. Usually in my life, that's what justice kind of looks like. If you just show up, give some time, and just show that you care and see what God does. So what I want to do is we, we kind of continue in our service. I want us to just take, take some time and to pray. Um, and I want us to specifically pray for these boys at Have Haven. It's about 20 of them. Um, and so I want to pray for them. Some of you have gotten tags. you got names that you know. Let me just encourage you, if you feel led to pray out loud for those boys, just don't use their name uh, out loud. God knows who they are. I just want to say that because they're in the foster care system. This is going out on a live feed. And so we just want to be sensitive and help protect them uh, by not saying their name out loud. So you can pray for that child. If you want to pray silently or out loud, I encourage you to do that. We want to make space for that. But if there's something else that's on your heart, I mean, some of you guys, like I said, you've shared your, your heart. There's a heart for justice in a particular area of our world. I want to encourage you, pray that out loud as we pray right now in part because we want to pray to God and trust these things to God, but also there may be others in the room that when you share that heart, God will help connect hearts, that, that he'll use that to move in a way to draw people into what he's doing in different areas of our life, okay? So, so I want us to take some time just to pray. And so if you want to bow your heads and just close your eyes, and we're going to pray um, into this call that God has placed on our life to be a people of justice because He's a God of justice.